Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the Body Bag Podcast. I'm your host, Broke Rider Dave. As always, my co-host, Chris Thomas. And today we have a special guest with us today. Horror author, Fear and the Kitchen Sink, Spencer Hamilton. Hey, hey, thanks for having me. Hey, thanks for having me. You're here. Yeah. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, I mean, hey, any excuse to shoot the shit about uh about horror movies, right? Yeah, definitely. That's why I'm so upset that we only do one or two of these a week, because it just never seems like enough. <laughs> I feel the same way, yeah. So, Spencer, you've published Fear and the Kitchen Sink, and you have another book coming out. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. I, I recently put a free book up on my website with the newsletter called Welcome to Smiley Land. It's a slasher taking place in an abandoned amusement park. And so I've been kind of playing in that sphere and building more works in the in the Smiley Land world. So that that should be what, what comes next. Oh, so is that going to be an actual universe you're building? Yeah, yeah. I It was just going to be a one-off because I, I love slashers and I, I've started reading a lot of Stephen Graham Jones, who is kind of like the the slasher expert in the uh, yeah. author sphere, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to, you know, try my own hand at it and readers really responded to it. And I just didn't want to say goodbye to the world. So it just, you know, grew from there. That's got to be a big undertaking, like building your own universe. It really is. Yeah. It's like, you know, trying to make your own MCU, but with death <laughs> i mean i I love it yeah yeah it sounds exciting is that the graphic novel or is that uh, a separate because uh, i saw you are part of a graphic novel if i'm not mistaken i saw that on your website yeah so the the graphic novel is actually where smiley lamb started it was more just a, a comic that was published in spine magazine last year just like a, a three-page thing where I was playing around with the the Smiley Land world. And and that's when I decided I wanted to write more of it. So we're going to bring the graphic novel back into it in a bigger way sometime in the future. But for now, it's just the books. That's really exciting. That's definitely going to be my next read. That's pretty awesome. I'm sorry if you guys are hearing noise over here. We have a thunderstorm and like my cat's freaking out. So you know what? That that, that'll just add to the ambience of this horror podcast. (laughs) Nice thunderstorm, cat scared in the background. That's awesome. Although, yes, I do hope the cat's okay. Yeah. Yeah. And it's kind of a a perfect transition in a way because, you know, a thunderstorm, that's how that's how the mist kicks off. Yes, it is. Uh, I just uh, have a couple more questions for you about uh Fear, is that okay? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah. So my first question is, it's one of the scenes, either in the first or second chapter, where uh, Jack and Ash, they go and see Jaws at the theater. In the fear, okay. Yeah, yeah they go and it was it's like a drive-in in Austin, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're walking back and they're like harassed and uh, like physically assaulted by who becomes the cardigan man mm-hmm. like that scene like made me so angry <laughs> Good. like honestly like i don't know how his friends like stood back because like one of my friends did that i'd fight my friend because that's not okay but when you're writing a scene like that like how do you get into like the mindset to write something along those lines well i think the fear is is its own particular case for me because at the time of writing it you know, I, I wrote it in the first few months of the COVID pandemic, and and I had just moved to Austin myself, where the book takes place. Okay. So I was kind of using the book as kind of my own catharsis and therapy, and and way to like not go insane in quarantine. One of the first things that uh, happened when I moved to Austin was there was a screening down at the river of Meg. Oh, like yeah. The Meg yeah. Uh, okay, movie. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, when I started writing The Fear, it seemed like a perfect way for Ash and Jack to be introduced to Austin in a horror movie. But I did not want to use The Meg for 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 reasons of you know it just it's it's not a great movie <laughs> yeah jaws is a way better choice i agree with you there yeah so not I, even I changed... not even for like a just it's a ridiculous have fun <laughs> kind of movie like well i i mean i'm right there with you when i when i saw the meg i did have a blast you know <laughs> so there's definitely value to that but 
in terms of, you know, when you're writing a novel, the things that your characters go through, typically you want them to build on thematic elements that you weave through it. So I very quickly realized that if I went with Jaws, Jaws uses brilliantly, it uses our fear throughout. You know, I think I, I heard I heard a quote just yesterday that said, we're not afraid of being alone in the dark. We're afraid of not being alone in the dark. Oh, I like and that. essentially, yeah. you know, it's the idea that uh, we're afraid of what we can't see. And I think Spielberg, whether it's on purpose or accidentally, since, you know, the, the shark bot was broken throughout filming, Spielberg uses what's not on the screen to just perfect effect. I respect any storyteller who plays with what's not on screen and and just they rely on the audience's fear, anticipation and tension rather than like a boo or jump scare or something gross on screen. Mm -hmm. But what you're not seeing and it's the because what you see in your mind will always be 20 times worse than what will actually be on the screen. Mm hmm. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. I also think there's value to constraints for for a creator. So like Spielberg, for example, he was almost forced to not show the shark as much because of a broken robot. <laughs> and then like, you know, The Mist had a just horribly low budget. And so they had to be really creative with how they built suspense, like the, the, the rope that the biker dude goes out on mm -hmm. that. I, I find that sequence terrifying and you don't see a single creature. All it is, is a nylon rope, you know, yeah. you wouldn't think that it had a small budget given the cast that it had. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, Hey, that's, that's probably where a lot of the budget went, you know, Probably uh, yeah. on a side thing. I like that you keep bringing up that the there was always problems going on with the Jaws robot. A little <laughs> a little side thing. You know what it was nicknamed, right? Ah, uh, I can't remember. That on set that they nicknamed it Flaws because there was so much <laughs> horrible stuff going on. They could not get the shark to work for the life of them, so they kept calling it Flaws and not Jaws. That's brilliant. That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. But yeah, so a lot of times those kind of constraints almost force the the creativity to you know go into overdrive and creative problem solving can just yield great results and i think that's true with jaws i think it's true with my own book i think it's true with the mist it's just it's interesting as a storyteller to see how that affects the final product oh most definitely yeah definitely question number 2 I really like the way how you uh, told the uh, relationship between Jack and Ash because it's yeah. not like a uh, perfect relationship. You know, there's some mm -hmm. doubts. It's messy. It's kind of real and relatable. So, like, how did that come about? Was it like real life experiences or media experience? Yeah. Well, as 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 a writer, I kind of pull through all different parts of my life and what I observe around me as I write. So at the time, my partner and I were, were quarantining. And so I certainly was seeing how quarantine affects partnerships. You know, I think divorce rates <laughs> yeah. went through the roof and, and all that. But, but I mean, my partner and I grew a lot stronger through the pandemic. So I was able to hmm. kind of channel what, you know, the what ifs into my writing and I think with Jack and Ash specifically, I really fell in love with those characters. I really feel for what they were going through. And I think a big part of Ash's character specifically came up through the writing. You know, originally Jack was going to be the main character and Ash yeah. was just going to have little blog posts throughout, but the majority of the book was going to be Jack's POV. And that changed very quickly because I realized that in a way, the fear is Ash's story more than it's Jack's. And that came about because I was kind of writing my own deliverance through 
Ash, I was coming off of a divorce. And so I was writing a lot of marriage and, and trauma problems into their relationship and then finding ways for Ash to overcome them, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it definitely makes sense. And yeah, they're definitely lovable characters. I, I, I hope so. It's Yeah. That's the I mean the, the biggest jobs of the writer, you know? Yeah, I'm about three quarters through the book, but mm-hmm. it's been a great experience reading it so far. Oh, well, thank you. The next question I had you kind of answered is kind of how the uh, pandemic affected you. Yeah, yeah, you know, you <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, to speak more on it, I think the pandemic, you know, it affected me in a lot of similar ways that it affected all of us. I think it's this, yeah. this strange example of this one thing that pretty much everybody experienced, which is very rare. And so the the themes that these, these pandemic stories like the fear and others that are coming out are way more universal than, you know, you'd hope they would be. <laughs> It is interesting because the pandemic is definitely one of those situations that happened like once every 20 years that it's kind of like when people go like I was around when 9-11 happened. I was around when the pandemic happened. Like I was around when like WW2 happened. It's it's one of those life defining things that happened that an entire society like will remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of those things where we all have similar experiences, but we all struggle through it differently, you know? Well, yeah. And I think even more so though, the, the pandemic, you know, it's, it's something that we all live through instead of something that we were watching happen, like, you know, 9-11 personal. years ago. Yeah, exactly. I can't think of any other uh, world event that, that had such a profound effect globally you know that's a good point because when i was mentioning 9-11 9-11 happened in new york and it shook the united states but i was about 10 years old when it happened and Mm -hmm. new york just felt like so far away i live in virginia and even though it was still relatively close new york city just still felt like an entirely different world away but Mm -hmm. this pan and i never really grasped exactly how intense it was when I was that age, but something like this pandemic, which literally affects everybody in the United States and the world, mm-hmm. a whole yeah. different kind of yeah, story. I was, yeah, I was 11 for 9-11 and I was in California. And then on the 10 year anniversary of 9-11, when, you know, Osama was taken out, I was 21 and I was living in Manhattan. And so I got to hear all the stories from my neighbors who were there when it happened. And that was when it really clicked like, oh, this was a very different experience. Uh, yeah, get a little that, more perspective. You know? Yeah. 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 Which just is not the case for the pandemic. You know, a lot of the horror stories that, that really are the worst of the pandemic were widespread. And so a lot of us either saw it or lived through it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm uh, going to throw this over to Chris. Oh, yeah, Do you have we, any questions about Kitchen Sink? Yeah. Oh, yeah, because we both had two different uh, books that we ended up going through. I got the Kitchen Sink. And y'all uh, really did your homework. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I got the Kitchen Sink for because I was looking through and I was like, all right, which one am I going to am I going to want to read and buy? But mm-hmm. I love short stories. That's how I love reading, like go through books, because when I saw that yes, it was a collection yeah. of short stories, I immediately I've I've. Oh, I've shout out scary stories to tell in the dark way too many times on this podcast. But mm-hmm. yeah. when I, whenever I see a collection of short stories, scary stories, it makes me think of that. And that's all I read when I was in middle school. And there so I was go. like, oh, yeah. so I'm actually still. Re- and the good thing about these short stories is that because I have it on Kindle. So if I just go to the table of contents, I'd be like, oh, I feel like reading this one right now. And then I just. Yeah. Click. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm still I'm jumping around. I don't have to read them in any particular order. Oh, I love that. Yeah, so, I, I love short stories. And yeah. the two that kind of jumped out at me so far of the ones that I've been reading were Gravitas Mortem mm-hmm. and The Autopsy of a Marriage. Oh, okay. Which, Autopsy of a Marriage, did you write that one? Did that have your divorce? Was that present in that particular piece of writing as well? Is that yeah, one of the reasons? Yeah, um, Autopsy of, of a Marriage, or I'm sorry... <laughs> Autopsy of 
a divorce. It's been a while. I think it, I believe it was autopsy of a marriage. Okay. Um, Autopsy of a Marriage and The Kitchen Sink were the last two stories that I wrote for that collection. And and they both very much are drawing from my own experience in that regard. Because it felt very personal. Yeah. I don't know what the experience is for Autopsy of a Marriage on a Kindle, because, you know, uh, that story, it's, it's told in a unique format. It's written as like a an autopsy, autopsy report. report. Yeah, it, it shows like yeah. redacted things and like filling out the form and all that business, right. which I thought yeah. was a really so, cool, interesting touch to add in a book. Well, hey, I mean, the the redacted element, that's another example of things being unseen, I guess, in a way, you know. You love playing with that notion of not seeing everything and just leaving things to imagination. Well, I think uh, a storyteller can really take away the magic if they just spell it all out, you know. I to- I totally get that. That's uh, We've said it before that me and Dave are wannabe writers as well, and maybe perhaps uh, in my own writings I focus too much on what is said and what is explained when maybe I should be leaving certain things out intentionally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Leaving a little bit more to the imagination. Well, you know, what's, what's interesting about kitchen sink is uh, you'll see in the, the introduction that I wrote for the collection that I I've been just chasing this notion that the real monsters are inside of us. Yes. Um, and, and I, truly do think that 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 idea hit me when i first saw the mist Mm -hmm. and and it just clicked where i was like man those those monsters are a very small part of that movie most of the movie is the people the 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 people people, yeah yeah you know even when even when the monsters are attacking you have the people almost being far worse for themselves for their own the monsters were definitely a metaphor for the people yeah yeah you know like when uh when the pterodactyl like creatures break in not everything that happens is because of the monsters A, a dude accidentally trips and catches his entire body on fire and we'll kill ourselves if we're scared enough yeah yeah, yeah. We, we don't really need the monster's help you know <laughs> But you talking about the monsters inside of us actually kind of goes a little bit with the Gravitas Mortem story. Mm -hmm. When I was, it's funny, I'm glad that you mentioned it in the story because when I was reading it, I was like, wait a second, this story just started changing tense all of a sudden. I was like, that's not, that's not, that's not very good grammar. And then you mentioned it. I was like, oh, that was done intentionally. He, he, the dude's losing his mind here. And uh, it it felt like a a fever dream mixed with the adjustment bureau at one point. Okay. Yeah. Well, when the two dudes, when the two guys came in and said, your wife has been arrested by the sea, I was like, all right, who are these dudes? And, (laughs) and it just felt like a, and, and he said, no, I'm just part of a bad story. I was like, wow, this is, this also kind of felt a little bit like, uh, Oh, what's that? Uh, I, I I don't have enough time to think about it. It's gonna bug the crap out of me. But uh, it another movie that I saw a while back. But that one was really good. And he kept saying, "It's my depression. It's your depression." And, and it feels like I'm in a hole, just getting dirt thrown on me and everything like that. And it was at the end. He's looking in the mirror. Uh, it's like looking into a mirror. He says. Right. That one was just a lot of fun. That one stuck out to me along with the, the Opsy of a Marriage of just because how fever dreamish it felt right well you know when i when i wrote gravitas mortem there's seven or eight stories in that book that i wrote in the same week in 2017 and um i was trying to write a new story every day mm-hmm. and one day you know i was i was really struggling with my depression and so one day it, it felt like i just i couldn't get out of bed but I, I was determined to write a story every day like I'd promised myself. And so I wrote at least the, the first part of that story, almost, almost like forcing myself to move because the depression felt like this physical weight. And uh, I, I and totally get that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so like the originally the tense changing uh, like you mentioned, from past to present or, or something. I don't remember how. He switched from past tense to present tense. 
Yeah. yeah so originally I had not done that intentionally, but like my, my brain was just, you know, real turgid and, and was not really running all that well. And, and so that, that story kind of became its, its own experiment. Like I was writing a, a story about depression while in the, the throes of it. And, and I'm, I'm really pleased with how it went, but man, it was, it was like pulling teeth, you know? Oh, totally. When, when you now, not, not to get too personal uh, about Mm -hmm. uh, depression and whatnot, but do you look back on that now? I don't know how your depression is now, but do you go back and look at stories that you wrote when you were in that period and can you still identify with them? Or does that just seem like a totally different time in your life? that you're like, wow, I can't believe I felt like this way at some point. You know, that's, that's an interesting question. I, I definitely am, am much, much better, much healthier now, but I still remember it pretty, pretty clearly. It's hard to put myself back into that moment and, and remember the full effects, but I certainly remember what it was like. Uh, it's like having scars that I, I remember what it was like, but you know, it was definitely there. Yeah. And I'm sure yeah. that'll fade away with time. You know, maybe if you were to ask me this question five years from now, my answer would be no, you know, yeah. I, I have no idea. I, I really literally can't put myself back in that place, you know, and in that yeah. way, the story becomes this, this time capsule for me. Time heals all wounds, as they say. There you go. There you go. Well, those are the two stories that I wanted to kind of talk about in regards to Kitchen Sink. I still have the other half. There's more than just two, but there I still got the other half. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, but uh, of the first half of the stories that I've read, those were the two that kind of popped out. And I still have the other half that I'm going to read in no particular order and then immediately go to Smiley Land. There you go. Yeah. Well, thanks for, excited for that, yeah. reading, guys. That's It's really uh, you know flattering to, to talk about my work with, with readers. Oh, it was, it was a joy to read. And for those listening, you can find these books at your website. Am I correct? Yes, yeah, SpencerHamiltonBooks.com. That's where I got them. Yeah, that's where I got them too. You definitely need to go check them out, guys. Now, shall I, Dave? <laughs> yes, let's uh, get into the movie. Okay, let's talk about The Mist right now from 2007, directed by Frank Darabont. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Chris has a bunch of notes. I've been talking to him about the past week, and I kind of told you a little bit earlier that I hated this movie when it first came out. Mm-hmm. But now, from where it was a 2 out of 10, I give it about a 7 out of 10 now. It's just a crazy flip that's that's an underdog story i i am man enough to admit that i was wrong in certain areas and that i was not open-minded about certain aspects when i was (laughs) 17 (laughs) when this came out yeah (laughs) Uh, 16 or 17 2000 yeah so 16 yeah do you remember what about the movie made you hate it so much? 100% I do. I have two pages, I told you. <laughs> hey, okay, okay. Yeah. Oh, we man. kind of alluded already to what the story is about. Seeing as uh, this was your pick, briefly, would you want to, for anybody who might not have seen this movie, just briefly describe what the movie is about? Yeah, it's a small town in Maine, and this mysterious thick mist comes rolling in, and... The story follows a large group of people who have taken to sheltering in a grocery store and you you discover that there are things in the mist. And as I said before, though, the, the true horror is trying to navigate the interpersonal relations between the people inside the store. I would say that the villain of the movie isn't necessarily the stuff in the mist, but actually fear itself. Yeah, I, people I'd in say the that's grocery store, yeah. That's absolutely it. So I wouldn't have said this years ago, but I recommend going to see it. Not to be confused with The Fog, even though The Fog also is very much uh, a mist coming in and monsters in it. Also I've not to be never confused seen the fog. with uh, The Mist TV show, which oh, yeah. I would recommend staying away from. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Don't subject yourself to it. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, maybe the second half was great, but I only got through the first half before 
given up. Now you said the fall. Uh, you said you never saw the fog, Dave. Now that's a John Carpenter movie. No, I've never seen it. I had to pause the movie two minutes in into watching The Mist because I had to appreciate that the painter David is the main character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's sitting there. He's an artist, and in the background you see a Thing poster, which mm-hmm. I immediately because the Thing is my favorite horror movie. Oh, God, now this might be a stretch, but I was like, that's a reference to John Carpenter, who directed The Fog from 1980, <laughs> and also to further compare to the Thing, the Thing is also about a group of people trapped in a location and turning on each other with monsters on the loose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also about not trusting everybody. So I don't know if that was done intentionally. It has to be. That's such a blatant thing to put out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. Nice no, little it's, Easter egg for people. It's really great. And I mean, if you paused it, like you said, then you'd see like, you know, they also had a painting that could have been it. And then the main painting from the Dark Tower with Roland Deschane. But yeah, I think that that they definitely, in the beginning of the shot, they give the focal point to the thing. And I think you're right on the money that that was intentional because of the parallel themes. That gave it one point because you were asking me what made it go from a two to a seven. I didn't notice that when I first watched it over 10 years ago. So already I appreciate that reference. I gave it an extra point. So now we're up to a three <laughs> out of seven. Hey, yeah. coming back. We're going to we're slowly off the bat. It already is better than when I first remembered it. The two big things that, I hated when I first watched it, but I've since come to appreciate why was uh, Marcia Harden's character or Marcia Harden's character, who was the religious zealot woman. She's my favorite character. She's your favorite character. She was the one. She's my favorite character. Yeah. Now, when I watched this movie, I was watching it at a friend's house with like two or three other friends. And we paused every five minutes whenever that woman got finished talking because we just kept going, man, I freaking hate this woman. I hate this woman (laughs) so much. Like, I want to kill this chick. And now, and I still do, but at this, you know, (laughs) but now I'm like, that's the point of her character. If she's exactly. su- she's supposed, you're not supposed to like her. And I've since grown in my opinion of movies, like especially if there's a character I hate. If that is what the actor's job is to do, then that woman did her job fantastically. Oh, yeah, yeah definitely. She hit it out of the park. Yeah, I can't. I just hate- respect yeah. her power grab. I mean, so as you said, the the hatred that the audience is supposed to feel for her, it's it's so unrelenting. You know, mm-hmm. she's she is just constantly the worst <laughs> and it just gets worse and worse as the movie goes on to the point where when she does get her come up and it's it's, you know, Satisfying. probably the one yeah. time when when you just want to jump up and cheer, you know, <laughs> it felt, yeah. when she died, I finally felt like I could take a breath of fresh air. Like it, it just finally yeah. as soon as it happened, I was like, oh. Like you being here was just so exhausting, but yeah, that maybe that's just because I also that's a thing in movies that really just pisses me off is like religious zealots who not not religious people. They're fine, but people who use fear and people being afraid and then mixing that with religion to get them on their side and get them to do things that they're doing out of fear. Yeah, it was a straight power grab. That's 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 just like one of the few things in movies that I know that it's part of the movie. It just really pissed me off, but it was done well and it did what it was supposed to. And I acknowledge that. Well, and you know, what's interesting not to keep bringing up the pandemic, but I think that the last year and a half has shown us how almost prophetic the portrayal of religious fear mongering is in this movie. Oh yeah. You can definitely see parallels with that. Yeah, absolutely. But what an, another funny thing about uh, Carmody, about Mrs. Carmody, is uh, a couple of years before this movie came out was when I read my first Stephen King novel. Mm-hmm. Um, I walked into a Borders, and it was the release week for Cell. Okay, I bought that release week too. There you go. It's I, one of my I, favorite I walked Stephen into King the store books, yeah. and was like, "Well, there's blood on the cover." Um, and I know that my my mom doesn't like Stephen King, so I'm going to buy this, <laughs> <laughs> you know. And and in that in that book, there's another. It's it's a side character who's only in it for for a brief amount of time. But there's this other woman 
who is a religious zealot, you know, Bible thumper. And, um, and one of the main characters, I think her name was Alice, um, goes up and, and slaps her and is like, you know, she just doesn't, she won't stand for it. And I, that, that so affected my 15 year old heart. (laughs) Stephen (laughs) King uh, likes to sprinkle that in his books. Yeah. Well, so then I saw this and almost exactly uh, the same plot point happened. And I just assumed, man, religion must have hurt Stephen King (laughs) at some point. Something happened. Right. Yeah. It is just, uh, you know, I've, I've read, I think about 55 of his books now. Um, Not all of them, but, um, and these are the only two, clear examples of of that happening that i can think of so it's just it's funny to me that those were the first two that i you know experienced and was like man stephen king must uh hate that but he doesn't he he just understands um what what kind of power can be wielded with it how dangerous it is Mm -hmm. yeah uh but yeah so she she was the big one of the big things that i didn't like initially that i've come to respect the other one the other person being captain holt andre brower mm. yeah uh, which which is weird because i'm so used to seeing him in brooklyn 99 as a very serious <laughs> yeah. face that i'm not yeah. used to seeing him emote so much and also just be unlikable in this thing when he when he uh they were getting along in the very beginning and then when we first start seeing these a glimpse of these monsters in the form of a giant spiked tentacle that ends up killing the bag boy. And you see the tentacle in the back and he's like, and they're trying to explain it to him. Hey, look, come back here. We, we, there's something out there and come over here. And he just, he's not having it. He's just like, you guys are just trying to, uh, you're just trying to have play a trick on me and blah, 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 blah. And I'm, and I just remember watching it being so upset, going like, yes, uh, yes, Andre Brower. This whole thing has been an elaborate setup to make you look like an idiot. You know, in fact, <laughs> we, we, we bought a hundred mist machines and actually placed them all around the city and caused like thousands of dollars worth of damage, all because we wanted to make you look like an idiot. I'm glad I'm not the only one with that same reaction. Like, seriously? Like, and, and then he, and, uh, but again, it just goes into how fear was like making people think of certain because then when he starts getting uh when he starts rallying people he's like you're already trying to like get my people into and she's like what are you talking about your people they're just people what are you talking about your people and stuff like it just i mean <laughs> yeah. i understand that he was also dealing with fear in his own way he was d- in denial of that anything was going mm-hmm. on yeah or, or just completely I mean, he represents definitely the kind of people they have their mind set up and they're not going to be changed. Change it, yeah. So that that character reaction was something you hated when you saw it as a teenager or now? Yeah, and no, as a teenager. Now I understand. I understand why he's at necessary. It still is irritating, but it didn't piss me off like when I was a teenager. Yeah. Right. I, yeah, I think as a as a teenager, I totally understand that sense of we have more black and white understandings of reality when we're a teenager. And then as we grow up, we realize that's a little naive, you know, Um, that, you know, people who are in the store are acting like how people would act kind of, I mean, the people, when people get scared, they don't think rationally. And Andre Brower's character, he was reacting to fear with, he needed some he needed to keep telling himself all right this is all justified there's a logical explanation for everything it's easier for me to believe that you guys are just trying to make me look stupid than me going back there and seeing there's a tentacle monster yeah you know and ha- yeah. having that be the lawyer character was i think really insightful you know having this this rational clinical mind just go along the edge of Occam's razor and say, hey, which is more likely that there are monsters or that townies are trying to get back at the the out-of-towner big shot lawyer, you know? You're going to go with the idea yeah. that you can justify in your head. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah, and luckily, you know, the first several times that that I watched this movie, Brooklyn Nine-Nine didn't even exist. So I, I, I didn't have to, like, compare those two versions of Andre Brower, you know? Yeah. <laughs> now, the stuff that me and my friends would always make fun of, you have this guy. Oh, which, by the way, there are a lot of actors from 
the Green Mile and Shawshank Redemption in this movie. Well, Darabont, yeah. That, yeah. And, and, yeah, and I I didn't realize that until I re-looked at who directed it. I was like, oh, it's Frank Darabont. No wonder that's why you have all these Shawshank Redemption and Green Mile actors in here. That's probably <laughs> that's probably yeah. why he was able to get all these big-name actors because he worked with them before. So I thought that yeah, was Yeah, he cool. also – my partner's showing me The Walking Dead right now. Yeah, there's um, a lot of Walking Dead characters in there, fan. too. Yeah, and you know he Darabont uh, wrote and directed the first couple episodes, and is actually the one who spent years trying to get that show made. So, are you serious? It, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that. that dude just has an eye for good material. He does. He really does. Because yeah. I was like, oh, Carol's in this, and so it was Andrea. And <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So everything is starting to make sense now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had absolutely no idea, but that's really, really cool. I've read that Thomas Jane, who plays David in The Mist, was actually attached to be the the lead of The Walking Dead. The uh, Grimes, the, Rick Grimes. Yeah, Rick Grimes, the, the yeah. sheriff's deputy. But it, it took so long that once AMC picked it up, he was off. And, you know, as much as I think Thomas Jane just fucking crashes um, and and smashes this role like it's mm-hmm. just perfect for the yeah. mist. I I can't see him giving Rick Grimes the kind of like nuance that that he needs. I can kind of see it, but kind of not. Like yeah. You, I, yeah. You, I can see it in some aspects of him being like a you know the stern leader that somebody that you know you can mm-hmm. look at Thomas yeah. Jane and be like, all right, that's a guy I will follow. I'll I will I will follow this guy's lead. I, but on the other hand, I'm like I don't know though. He might not get a lot of the little nuances and a little the intricacies of the character. Like yeah yeah. I mean, not to say well, that he can't. I mean his his acting in this I am still to this day just blown away at the cast as a whole just their their reactions to everything feels so real but especially thomas james the way that he shows his character processing those final moments of the film i yeah just yeah, blows just, my mind he went through like just so much in his head in his eyes he's like, yeah. sad it also kind of felt like there were certain parts where he like paused and he's like it kind of didn't feel like reality like it didn't like it didn't right. happen like he's exactly, telling like yeah. he's telling himself no i didn't do that i just imagine i did not just do that and yeah just going back and forth to from angry to sad to denial just like all in within just a couple of minutes and yeah yeah, yeah. and i mean not to not to you know jump straight to the end of the movie but oh, that's cool because that's where i was going next going on <laughs> thomas jane's performance in that moment yeah when he's sitting there having you know, emptied the gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, he's saying, I think he says it once or twice. Um, he says, ow. And it's just the yeah. idea that what he did is a physical pain to himself. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Just really affected me. Right, I just want to get to one point. Like, yeah, like you said, all the reactions kind of felt real. Mm-hmm. And uh, I spent four years in the Marine Corps. Oh, okay. So when Private Jessup was getting like strung up and he's like, mm-hmm. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. That's so real to me because someone is coming up. Lower ranks have no idea what's going on. Civilians might not know that. Are you talking yeah. about before they time. turned on him? No, like when they were getting ready to kill him. And oh, that's like, what, yeah, that's what, well, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 yeah that's so what before they yeah. threw him outside. He's, he's talking yeah. about how like even among him and his fellow soldiers, all he was going on were rumors. Yeah, and it's like, there's times in the military where we're doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but there's no way that he could, you know, know. And obviously it's easier for them to just put all the blame onto one person rather than listen to him out. Yeah. And again, you know, that goes back to just not giving the audience a complete explanation of what's going on. You know, it's it's much more exciting to give well maybe this happened you know but but we don't know and just let the audience fill in the blanks we still don't even know kind of how it is i mean we know one person's story has ended but we right the overall big picture of we don't know you know what happened with the rest of the monsters <laughs> like yeah we what, don't know how far it spread you know <laughs> but oh it looks like i guess dave had an issue with his connection i see he left but we can continue talking he'll he'll hop back in he was so offended by 
by this this movie not giving us all the answers that he just left. I get it. I get yeah. it. <laughs> you know, you know, I, you know, ten years ago, teenage me would totally be on board with you, Dave. We we totally get it. <laughs> but oh. go, going off of the ending or sticking with the mm-hmm. ending bit, that was the mm-hmm. other thing that really pissed me off. I hated how it ended, but now okay. I couldn't see it ending any other way because yeah. and it's so funny because I watched this with my folks. I tend to oh there he is. He is, he's back. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about it in just a second as soon as he pops in. Welcome back to the land of the living, bud. We, we don't, we didn't know Hello. you hated it that much. <laughs> uh, my power went out, guys. So now I'm on my phone. Oh, snap. It's uh, that yeah. storm. Uh, yeah. It's that storm. Don't go into the mist. <laughs> uh, yeah. did, did you want to finish your thought? Yeah. So, like, uh, like when you're in the military lower ranks, like a lot of times we're doing stuff and we don't know why. Like, so there could be a whole bunch of like secret experiments going on base and someone who's a private will have no idea that that's going on. Yeah. Yeah. I yes. Agree. And like. So- Power go out again. Whoops. Man. Oh, poor, poor Dave. Poor, poor Dave. <laughs> the The military thought he was about to, you know, spill some secrets. Spill some secrets. So- Dave, Dave, I hope you're okay. Cut him. <laughs> well, you hear me? Yes, we could hear you. Okay. You want to try a third time? You know what? I think we should just move on at this point. <laughs> the military, <laughs> the military knows you're about to divulge their secrets. <laughs> but exactly. Was, but when you cut out, like we were kind of talking a little bit about the ending. I was saying how much I hated the ending when I was a teenager, but I enjoy it now. I not enjoy it, but I appreciate it now. And it's funny. When I watched this with my folks, because I tend to watch the movie I'm going to review with my folks, since it's Halloween and we're in there into the Halloween season too, my mom said as soon as she realized that it was a Stephen King story, and as soon as they got to the car and they were driving away, she was like, I bet I know exactly how this is going to end. (laughs) 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 She was like, this is a Stephen King story and Stephen King does not like happy endings. (laughs) Well, I mean, what's what's hilarious about that is Stephen King didn't even write this ending. Oh, he didn't? No. Really? I didn't know that. So uh, the the novella, The Mist, it's in his collection, Skeleton Crew. It's, It's written as like as epistolary it's it's david writing down what has happened and they're they're holed up in a hotel and and they've been traveling for days and still haven't reached the end of the mist and they've started to hear things on the radio though so he's hopeful that they'll they'll find a way out of this mist and that it ends so it's 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 actually a pretty hopeful ending in the original book whereas this Um, one (laughs) yeah and and this one i mean Spoiler alert so, for, by the way, for anybody, if, if you guys don't want to hear spoilers, too bad, because we're about to spoil the ending right now. But yeah, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I, I implore yeah. anyone listening, if you have not seen the the movie to the end, please turn this off. <laughs> and then come you back know? and subscribe. And then come back. Yeah. Yes. But so so this ending, Frank Darabont wrote this ending and the studio said, uh, no fucking way! You can't do that ending. You can't and, shoot a kid in the head as an ending. And and so yeah. they they held him hostage with the budget. And I so desperately wish that he had found a way to use practical effects for some of these monster sequences. Um, oh yeah, because the CGI doesn't really hold up. I'm a um, sucker for pro- uh, practical effects. Same. I mean, yeah, the, the same. Thing, you know, but. Um, but yeah, so like the the studio said, hey, we'll give you the budget you need if you change that ending. And he said no and just made it with the money that they'd give him. And kudos to him. Ending. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, well, we're going to hold you hostage. Guys. What was that? Mm-hmm. I have a question. Do you guys think he gets charged with four counts of murder? No. I mean, no. I think I think that any kind of system has essentially been put on pause. You know, like, like assisted suicide charges there. Plus, no, I think I'm I'm fairly certain, especially the military, because you see the two military like uh, officers come up at the very end, and they're sitting there and they're looking at him and looking at the car. You can put two mm-hmm. and two together that this guy, you know, because what he did was a mercy, mm-hmm. and yeah. I, I, I am sure that the military, you know, 
looking at the car and the bodies inside and looking at him and how much he's freaking out, I'm fa- fairly certain they were able to put two and two together. Yeah, yeah. but still, like, assisted suicide's still, like, illegal, though. Yeah, but like he, Spencer it's said, like I, think, I don't think there's any, yeah. I don't think there's any kind of, like, in a system law and order going on right now. This is like, hey, let's get these dimension creatures out of here first. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and also, like, if you if you wanted to write a sequel to to this ending, I think the the more tragic path to take, and I mean, it's horror, so you always want to take the more tragic path, would be yeah. that he's not convicted. Because I think that getting some kind of punishment or consequence for what he did would be a mercy to him. And just getting off scot-free and expected to to go on with his life would be the worst outcome for him. He would probably want to get punished in some way. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I would, I, I think that he would probably end up killing himself if they wrote the sequel. I mean, cause he tried to already. I don't think that he would be able to live with it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't I think agree. he's living very much longer past the ending of this movie. He's either going to take that route or he's just going to become a, you know, fucking mist monster mercenary where he just oh. <laughs> goes try and tries to do the most harm to them, you know? Speaking yeah. of the ending, real quick, before I forget, you see how when, when he's when he's out and the military's going by and you see that truck full of people, no, those were the civilians from the store, right? No. Uh, not the first one. The first one had the lady who left the store and no one would go with her. On yeah. It. yeah. I think so the I... second truck might have been from the store. Because I think that was the, uh, when I was watching it, I think that was the biggest kick in the nuts uh, for me was that I thought that that was the group of people from the store so that they got saved while he well had to go through all of that. Yeah, I think that that would have been pretty powerful, but I, I don't remember ever seeing any of the, the store people in the truck. So I think that that was left for us to decide. You know? All right. I'm yeah. going to, I'm going to, de- in my mind, I'm going to decide that they didn't get rescued because they didn't deserve it. <laughs> that makes there me feel that makes me feel a little bit better yeah you know that that gigantic creature saved. at the end um it it stomped on the store on the way over yes that's that's the that's how yeah. i rewrote the story <laughs> i did write in this in my notes here i said thomas jane is not actually the hero of this story toby <laughs> jones is Ollie. <laughs> Ollie is my favorite character in this entire movie. Ollie's a badass, dude. Ollie is the best. That dude, that, dude, yeah. that dude never misses a shot. He's always useful. He has witty remarks. He's what every retail worker daydreams about. As soon as <laughs> Exactly, as, yeah. As soon as the crisis happens, he's the one with the gun. He tells his supervisor to go fuck himself, and then he starts killing monsters. <laughs> yeah. He keeps a Ollie's cool awesome. head while he does it. Yeah, I love that part where he's like, yeah. "I shot her." <laughs> I don't yeah. want to do he's it. Like, I had to. Yeah, that's why I said thanks. <laughs> he's a, I shot her, and and Thomas Jane David just says thank you, and and then he says, "I, you know, I I had no choice. I wouldn't have done it if I had a choice." That's why and, I said thank you. <laughs> yeah, that's why I said thank you. But <laughs> hey, that was more. That was more. Toby trying or Ollie, I call him. I usually call him by their actor names, but that's yeah. why Ollie. He was saying it out loud because I think he was more just trying to make himself feel better. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely it. But it's really funny because first off, Toby never misses a shot. He mm-hmm. it's his target yeah. every single time. State and champion. State champion yeah, of nineteen eighty, whatever he said. And when there was that pterodactyl creature and mm-hmm. he was he had the shot lined up and the kid was also like kind of lined up my dad when he was watching he was like oh no don't tell me the kid's gonna get shot and i was like no not yet (laughs) (laughs) oh no (laughs) i wanted i didn't say that but i wanted to i was like oh dad if you're gonna if you're upset if this kid's about to get shot now you're really not gonna like the ending (laughs) oh damn yeah dude the the scene somewhere in the third act where the kid bill says to his dad promise you won't let the monsters get me no matter what. Yeah. yeah, knowing what the ending is. That makes that all like, the more. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, fuck, yeah. yeah. When I, when I, when I saw that, I was like, right oh, kid. <laughs> and his dad kept his word. You know, I will say this too. Now, Dave, what is it that yeah. I happen to bring up every single movie of every single week, apparently? Your hatred for kid actors. No, not <laughs> hatred. I don't hate kid actors. Stop saying I hate kid actors. I, I said nothing but good things yeah. about the kids from Trick or Treat last week. You, you that heard a good it point. Here. Yeah. 
Chris of Body Bag Podcast hates kids. Hates children. <laughs> that's gonna be on my uh that's gonna be on my tombstone. Here lies Chris Thomas, hated children. <laughs> that's great. But the first thing I said when the kid popped up, one of my first notes was I said, you know, whether or not this kid is any good or not, we'll have to see. But that kid is stoked to be here. <laughs> like, this kid yeah. this kid is you can tell that this kid is happy that he's getting work he is happy to be on set he is yeah he is you know and i think this kid was probably my favorite kid so far of the movies that we've watched this is what episode nine or something mm-hmm. yeah it's it episode like episode nine eight or nine yeah he's probably my favorite mm-hmm. kid actor that we've seen so far well i think that's a testament to the director i think when it comes to kids, as, as far as I understand it, a lot of times the performance the kid gives is totally a reflection of the director knowing how to work with kids. Can I just say and, that I totally agree? And again, I don't hate kids because yes. I've said before, I, <laughs> I've said before that I, I cut kids some slack because they're just doing what they're told when it comes to these yeah, yeah. acting yeah. scenes. But sometimes but they yeah, can the, be the kid in this one... Yeah. To your point, the kid in this one, he he really does nail it. He gives the performance that it needs. He's yeah. In fact, the kid is more there as a driving force for the main actor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's true. He's you. He's mainly there as a motivational tool for Thomas Jane mm-hmm. to do yeah. what he's doing because he's the only reason he stayed as long as he did was because he didn't want to bring his kid out there in the mist. Ultimately, the reason why he ends up leaving is because he wants to keep his kid safe. You know, that's a good point. Yeah. And I think that brings up probably the only thing that I truly don't like about this movie, which is David going to the pharmacy. It drives me insane. Well, because there's like I'm, no reason for yeah. him to do that. Yeah. I was like, dude, you, you are here to protect your kid, why the fuck are you leaving him on a mission that so far every other mission has led to death? Especially leaving him in the store where the crazy religious woman is. Exactly. It just, I mean, I kind of get it because it's like- I guess he really, you know, trusted, uh, what's her name, Amanda? Oh, yeah. The woman who was with him at the end, I guess he really trusted her by then. But then again, she's still a little naive because early on, both Thomas Jane and- Ollie, we're trying to explain to on. I'm going to keep calling her Andrea. Uh, <laughs> keep wanting to tell her, hey, look, this woman is obviously riling up people. She has four followers now. By tomorrow, she'll have eight. And then, then he, they even. It's so funny that they called her uh, that her followers were calling her a prophet when Ollie and Thomas Jane prophesized that she's going to start sacrificing people. <laughs> yeah, which she does. Yes, she tries to sacrifice the son. Well, that, yeah, but they that also sacrificed the, the military guy. Yeah. Yeah. Stabbed Blood him and threw him outside. Yeah. Expiation. <laughs> yeah, I love that dude. That that dude who has absolutely no spine, also from oh. Shawshank Redemption, who, hey, man, I'm sorry I got that kid killed. And then, yeah, right. And then immediately. I don't see any boogie monster out there. And then he... Man, yeah, his his character is done so well. I laughed. I laughed at him. That was the only time I got a genuine laugh was when he was part of the religious group going expiation. (laughs) Yeah. But you know, it's perfect. Like he, he's laughing and cocky at the very beginning and then uh, realizes how basically how dumb he is. And then uh, when, when he sees what he sees in the pharmacy uh, that that is essentially what breaks him and sends him running to something that he can hold on to, which is the the crazy, you know, expiation profit. Again, yeah. you just it's all it's all about what's easiest for you to what's the easiest thing that you can grasp onto that's gonna get you through this situation. Yeah, the the human exactly, psychology yeah. of of all these different characters is so well portrayed. There's so many different versions of how we would react in this scenario, you know, that it makes it all the more infuriating yeah. that the people that do keep a level head are the ones that nobody wants to listen to. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hey, that's, that's, uh, the Ain't real that life. <laughs> Ain't that life. Ain't right? that life. Unfortunately, <laughs> anyway, I yeah. think that's all of my notes, but given all of this, I enjoyed it way more in my second viewing as my, uh, tastes have been a little bit more refined. And I realized that certain people act a certain way 
and they're supposed to make you upset. And even the ending, I've actually grown to like and appreciate way more than I did the beginning part. So that's why it goes a good 7 out of 10 for me. It's a good movie. Go give it a watch. Yeah. I'll give it a six and a half out of ten. Okay. What do you think of the, the ending, David? Well, the ending for me, I think it's kind of perfect for this movie because it's just kind of like that dreadful ending. This isn't the type of movie that you should have a happy ending for. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's true. The, the main character has been getting nothing but like crapped on the entire movie that even his act of a kindness killing his merciful killing is is a heartbreak in itself in that he, he's doing everything right in the story maybe right. other than going to the pharmacy but he was doing that for a good reason yeah yeah he's doing but everything getting right. all the wrong result he was trying yeah trying to help the guy who got burnt up and that even to the point where he kills the other four survivors out of a kindness and that is met with such a horrible like that dude gets no kind of reward for keeping a level head, keeping his son safe, making sure his son didn't suffer, and trying to help out those who were suffering in the store. None of his good deeds were ever rewarded, but only punished. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you look at it as, you know, I guess you you could look at this as a moral tale, and his ultimate sin was trying to control the situation at every turn you know, mm-hmm. and, and at every turn when he would try to exert his control and, and have the people do what he believed they should do, the consequences were usually pretty bad. And, you know, they were consequences that he knew were, were coming, but he almost, you know, pushed it closer to th- that result by, you know, being the one who wants to go to the pharmacy, despite probably needing to stay with his son but you know he's the macho man who has to uh be the leader and which you know i think sorry yeah no 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 what are you gonna say i was gonna say which even in the end if he just let things be instead of may, uh, being the one that made the f- decision if, if he just let things play out then the military would have shown up on time yeah 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 and you know in that way mrs carmody is his foil because they're both essentially essentially they've both put themselves in the leader position and i think they both have disastrous results because of it mm-hmm. you know they they got what they want but in a way that they did not want <laughs> but yeah it's one of those movies that don't don't watch it and then get your day started because you'll just feel kind of <laughs> like feel yeah. weird and awful for the rest of the day but you need to wa- watch this movie and then go watch some looney tunes or something because you'll need a little bit of an uplift <laughs> afterwards definitely yeah yeah watch some some inspirational videos or something yeah i think watch- i followed this movie with brooklyn 99 <laughs> perfect that's uh that was captain holt's or- origin story he left town and then uh and then he started a new pop. life and I guess I like that. Yeah. You all right? At this time, I don't think we did it for the Tingler, but this one has plenty of movie deaths in it. And mm-hmm. each week we try to have the kill of the movie or death of the movie. So, <laughs> so Dave, why don't we start with you? What would you say was your kill of the movie? Probably when the bag boy got offed. Ooh, Norm. Yeah. Poor Norm. Mm-hmm. Poor His Norm. death was so drawn out and rough to watch, but that's what makes it so good is. And when Thomas like Jane. It didn't was, need to happen, yeah. And Thomas Jane was like, yeah, he was a stupid kid. What was your excuse for letting him do it? <laughs> yeah. I was like, that's a good point. I mean, he's just a dumb teenager. Dumb teenager is going to do what a dumb teenager is going to do. So the adults are the ones who should have been like saying, hey, don't let the teenager go do it. I'll do it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What about you there, Spencer? Did you have a favorite kind of kill of the movie? Oh man. Uh you know, I'm I'm gonna take it in a bit of a different direction and say that my favorite kill of the movie is when oh, what's the old school teacher lady's name? Which um, which one? Is that not not Carol? Carol no, she's the, the really old uh 
Irene. She's she's the really old uh, school teacher who introduces yeah. David to to uh, Amanda. But anyways, yeah. she. I think my favorite kill of the movie is when she lights that spider on fire in the pharmacy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just, just, just lights. Oh, anything that has to do with spider death, I'm all for. So, yeah. And, <laughs> and I guess in that same scene, just seeing the, the spiders burst out of that MP. Oh, it's yeah. just that was my kill of the movie because that is the absolutely worst way I could ever think of going out. Yes, because I I yeah. hate spiders, and you got to figure that guy was there probably for a while, and he's stuck in a web surrounded by spider creatures who laid eggs inside his stomach and was just basically getting eaten alive from, and you got to figure that was probably slow. He was probably yeah. there for hours. Yeah. Oh. And then that is yeah. the absolute worst way I could ever think of going out. So that and when he, death. He, oh, yeah. he falls and his back just bursts. It's, oh, oh. it's probably yeah. like just the most like gross visual of the movie. Yeah. Him and the, guy who got caught on fire probably had the worst deaths because that guy mm-hmm. it's because yeah. it's because they stuck around for so long in agonizing pain and mm-hmm. originally yeah. that was going to be my my death if it wasn't for the spiders <laughs> but i had written down you know originally i was going to call the guy who tripped on the gasoline and lit himself on fire a moron but i probably would have worse luck and i would have probably died in an even dumber way i would have been the guy who tripped over a bag of dog food and broke my neck on a cash register or something like not (laughs) but but i was just like how did you you were sitting there messing with the gas bucket how do you trip over the gas bucket you were just messing with and light yourself (laughs) nobody thought to think hey we're dealing with gas around here maybe we should keep some fire extinguishers on the ready (laughs) Yeah, you know, that's that's the other thing that I think really pisses me off about David going to the pharmacy is this this guy is just covered in burns and is begging to to die. Yeah. And again, David just inserts himself as the the leader, the fact, the leader yeah. for yeah. everybody. And he's like, nope, I'm going to go to the pharmacy and turn one death into a couple more uh, a couple yeah. more it's just uh like it's probably a realistic response and that is what i love about mm-hmm. this movie is yeah is how the characters really do choose the way that i think real people would but damn it just <laughs> fuck david is what i'm saying because because <laughs> we we the viewers are sitting there like just give the guy some pills to overdose on or exactly. or or give the guy just or, put a bullet in his dome you know call the into, into suffering he's he's yeah i, I mean because he gave his because that also goes into now that i think about it david was willing to give his own son that mercy killing but he wasn't going to give that dude his yeah, that's fucked up. Because it's it's it, it was a totally different story when it's like he doesn't want his son to suffer, but he was willing to let that guy suffer when he's sitting there begging for death. Yeah, and you know, so I I just looked it up, and it looks like, and this is a very quick Google search, so maybe my facts are wrong, but it looks like assisted suicide just became an option for terminally ill people in Maine. I think I had read about oh. <laughs> in Maine where this takes place yeah yeah Yeah. so you know like 12 years too late but right (laughs) i mean they they have monsters and pennywise and everything they have to deal with i think that they you know (laughs) they deserve to have a suicide you know i'm not i'm not trying to i'm not going to get political or anything on this show but it's dairy maine there's a bunch of monsters there's so many monsters over down that way you should have an out (laughs) yeah right (laughs) exactly yeah but you know so so you guys rated it seven out of 10 and six and a half out of 10. I, I almost want to say that my rating would be nine out of 10, but I think that's just because I don't want to appear like this uh, unapologetic fanboy of the movie. Oh, don't, uh, don't, don't worry. <laughs> appear because I'm, I give, you know, we all have our favorites. Like I said, mine's the thing. I'd say that would be a 10 out of 10. Yeah, yeah, just well, wait till we review Scream. We have you know, nothing but great things to say about it. Would you I say think it... the thing is also my favorite horror movie? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, if I were to make 
top five lists, I think that the mist would be on that list every single time. Do you think that it would have been a 10 out of 10 if they used practical effects? Um, absolutely. Yeah. That's not really something I cared about, you know, 10 years ago when I saw this, but yeah. Yeah. But now like, uh, with, with all that time for the CGI to age badly, I, I really wish they'd, they'd gone that route, you know? You know, the instant I realized how much I loved prosthetics uh, in movies was when I saw the, uh, I think it was the prequel to the thing with Mary mm-hmm. Elizabeth Winstead when that came mm-hmm. out in like 2011. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. After I watched that movie, that's when I was like, this movie sucks. I miss the old prosthetic effects. The, this movie stinks. <laughs> I, but, don't know if- I mean, hey, it gave you a direct example of why practical effects are better. You know, it was a learning opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much all I have to say about the mist. It was a fun experience and I'm glad I got to see it again. And I was really excited. Is there any other final thoughts that any of you guys want to give on the movie? I no, just, we just about covered it. I just, you know, going back to uh, the beginning of 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 this episode where we were talking about like Jaws and and fear being scarier off the page or off the screen. I think that this movie does that so well, you know, like even though it does show that gigantic monster that's stepping over them, that's like, you know, a couple hundred feet tall at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. The camera spends the most time on their faces as, as they're staring up. Oh yeah. And you just yeah. see the hope dying in their eyes and it's so terrifying to see how it affects them rather than see you know what it is and this movie chooses that route again and again and i just i love that idea that um you know what what's scary is the unknown indeed it is and that's a great yeah. way to summarize this movie all right. Well, once again, Spencer, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks you, for having me. This is fun. If you want to give out your social so uh, people listening can follow you. Yeah, so um, on Instagram, which is where I spend most of my time, my my handle is Nerdy Wordsmith. And on Twitter, where I go occasionally, if you know the mood strikes me, I'm at uh, S Hamilton Books. And everybody be sure to go check out his website and check out yeah. Smiley World. Is that the name of the book coming out? Um, is Smiley Land. You can get that on um, SpencerHamiltonBooks.com. And uh, it's it's been getting really great reception. So I think you'll you'll have a lot of fun with it. So go grab that, that free copy. All right. And if you're listening on the Apple Podcast, make sure to leave a five-star rating. It really helps us out. And I believe next week we have another special guest coming up. Yes, we do. Uh, Tag, he is a rapper. You go ahead and search him up on Spotify. Music is great. We have yet uh, to figure out what... Sh- uh, I think he said either Jaws or Alien, so... Ooh. Oh, so yeah. we'll be talking some classics next week then. Exactly. I'm excited for it. All right. And I guess that about wraps it up for here at the Body Bag Podcast. All right. Everybody have a great week.